What's going on, everybody? It is Colin of Colin's Conversations, and today is the second time that the Conversations podcast is going into Canada. Today we're talking with Chantel Canzanese out of Toronto, Ontario, and we talk about so many things. We learn about Canada, we learn about the film business, makeup, YouTube, dating. Uh, I think we really cover about everything in an hour and 15 minutes. So quick sponsored segment, great podcast episode. Let me know what you think. And let me know who to talk to next. All right. We've got wave file saving. Perfect. So Collins Conversations, I'll let you introduce yourself. Let everybody know who you are, where you got started, and uh, a little bit about what you do. Yes. Awesome. So thanks for having me on your show, by the way, Colin. This is awesome. No problem. Um, my name is Chantal Kanzanese. I'm from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, I have my hands in a few different pots, to be honest. I own a company called Flawless by Design, which is a makeup, um, hair, and wardrobe agency here in Toronto. Um, I do acting and hosting on the side. And then I also run a dating blog. So, so that means that you probably wake up early, early, and you never go to sleep with all those different things that you got to do, right? I don't always wake up early, early. I mean, that's what they say that entrepreneurs should be doing uh, to be successful. I try to. I'm a little bit of a night owl, I'm not going to lie. Uh, so I actually do a lot of my work late at night. For some reason, that's when I'm more functional, I'm more alert. Uh, but yeah, you don't get a lot of sleep when you're doing a few different things. That's for sure. <laughs> like a one-woman show over here. Oh, I totally understand. It's a one-man show over here. I got to set up my lights, make sure everything works, and then I got to edit it and promote it and everything. But... You don't have five assistants to do that? Oh, of course. They're uh, one, two, three, four, and five. Yep. All in Colin. <laughs> All Colin, Colin, Colin. Absolutely. And you're in Toronto now. Uh, were you born and raised in Toronto? Or I know you've kind of traveled the whole globe, but has it always been Canada as a home base? Yes, Canada has always been my home base. I lived um, in a few different places for school and whatnot. I went to California for a little bit and lived there for six months. Uh, but basically, I've been in Toronto. Yes, I do a lot of traveling, but that's more for work and for pleasure. What about Toronto keeps you there? I mean, you've had the ability to go everywhere. What keeps you rooted in Toronto? <sighs> Family, to be honest, is, is number one. Friends, when you build a community, your work. I mean, um, running a company here obviously gives you some roots in the city. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if I'm going to be in Toronto for the rest of my life. I've mm. always thought that the world is so amazing and so huge and diverse that it would be kind of crazy to stay in one city your whole life. I don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, I've done so much traveling and there's so many amazing spots that I don't even know how I would pick one place to live. But that's right. kind of the plans is to become more mobile and to be able to run my, my companies uh, through my computer so I actually can do the traveling and live in other places if I want to. So that is the goal in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, for the last 10 years, I've owned and operated a landscape company in Cleveland, Ohio. Right. And kind of just after going through years of years of years of just people don't know how to work or, you know, you, you sell a whole bunch of accounts and then three lawnmowers break or something. And you're like, what do I do now? Opposed to um, kind of getting out of that and getting more into small business marketing. And I've been helping a lot of authors and musicians and small businesses kind of taking all the skills that have kept me self-employed, giving them to them and kind of making it affordable to them to actually live their dream. Like you said, not everybody wants to do video editing or learn Facebook funnels and things right. like that. So like to be able to pass it off to somebody that, that you know that have, has done it um, has been kind of a, a fun journey while doing that. Plus yeah. still kind of doing some landscaping and podcasting, never sleep like you. <laughs> over the map. Yeah. And why not use other people's expertise, right? If it's not yours, I right. always believe in surrounding yourself with uh, people that are that are better than you, smarter than you, that, that have more money than you. Uh, that just brings 
new information into your life and helps you in business, right? If you're surrounded by people who are more successful and you kind of steal little tidbits from them and how they're right. doing business and what works for them, uh, that only helps. So it's to challenge yourself, basically. And that's the joy of what I love about podcasting is it puts you in the room with a high level executive or a, a entertainer that's used to doing 10, 15 years of music. I don't know how to do music, but the more people that I could talk to on a podcast level or actress, host, things like that, things that I've never done before. You could have an hour conversation, build a relationship with somebody. And next thing you know, when you're like, oh, I have to help somebody figure out how to do their their dating vlog. Oh, hey, Chantel, uh, can, can you talk to somebody and give them some advice? Yeah. You know, one of those I know types someone. of things. And that's the thing about business and kind of what where my path has gone to is you never know what the next step is. And I think things happen for a reason. You meet different people for a reason. And sometimes it brings you on a path that you never thought you would be. You know, like if you asked mm -hmm. me five years ago if I'd be doing what I was doing now, the answer would be hell no. <laughs> so it, it's, it's nice to leave your mind open, to leave your, your heart open and to, to just let life take you on that journey because you might actually discover something else that you're passionate about, right? Yeah, you always got to be open to open doors. If, if, yeah. if you say no to everything, nothing's good going to come. And you'll be one of those people that are like, oh, the economy sucks. Life sucks. But if you say yes, and like you said, if if you go put yourself in a room with people that are doing things that you're not, you might like it, you might not, but you're in the room and you could learn. Yeah, but it's surprising. A lot of people don't function that way. A lot of people live in their comfort zone, right? They have that regular mm -hmm. nine to five that they're used to. They know what paycheck is coming in at the end of the month. They know their hours. They know that they're going to get bonuses. And so they sit in in that same position for their whole life, not really considering like, do I love what I'm doing? Do does this bring me joy? Do I have some sort of purpose in life? It's just, like it's just a job to them. And I'm I've kind of always lived against that grain, right? Is to to do the things that you actually love, or to find a way to make money at the things that you're passionate about. Because you spend too much time in your life working. So if you were right. to look back and say, okay, well, what did you do with your life? And you're like, oh, I spent six days a week at work, and I hate <laughs> work. What a what a tragedy in a way, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, so before we get too far away from your origins of Toronto, I did a quick Google search. Oh, no. Um, and we're going to do a segment called Does Canada. It's going to be the top 10 things that I'm guessing it's all dumb Americans because so many of these, if you've ever even just been to Niagara Falls, you're like, oh, this is a no brainer. Right. But being a Canadian, if you could answer these Does Canada questions, we got oh, 10 of God. them, just a quick shirt. If you have any knee jerk reactions or anything other than yes or no, feel free to add them. I hope so, I know this. We'll start with an easy one. Does Canada have states? No. What's the difference what between a, a province and a state? You have provinces, right? Provinces. But what, is there any difference? Just a different word, right? I think we just, yeah, we call it something different. We have less than you guys have many states. We have less provinces. Does Canada celebrate Thanksgiving? We do. It is but a you different do it, date. Ours was in October. You do it like way before we do, don't you? Yeah, it's a while before. And it's funny, I get a happy Thanksgiving from my American friends every once in a while. And I'm like, oh, that happened like a month ago. <laughs> it, it's a big event here. I don't know if it's as big as it is in the States. But uh, yeah, it's all about hanging out with family and, and eating as much as you can that weekend and drinking and having some fun. Is yours a whole weekend thing? Ours is just like a one day wham, bam, and let's go shopping the next. I mean, Thanksgiving is technically one day. My family turns it into a whole weekend thing. And what type of we, traditional American would be like turkey, bunch of potatoes and starches and things like that. Same up there. Yeah, same thing. Turkey, gravy, you got your mashed potatoes, you have your cranberry sauce, your carrots. Cranberry in a can or cranberry sauce? No, the real stuff. <laughs> Never in a can, Colin. Never. We're American. We like things that are shaped like can. <laughs> uh, cool. Does Canada celebrate Halloween? Yes. 
is it a big thing there? Is it kind of just getting started? What's Halloween like? No, Halloween is a, a very big thing. I mean, it's obviously meant for the kids. However, a lot of adults love Halloween. I love Halloween. It's like one right. of my favorite occasions. Um, well, it's funny to think that somebody that does special effects makeup will like Halloween. Right? Actually, I don't even, we work a lot on Halloween, but that's not even the part that I look forward to. I actually enjoy the event of Halloween. Um, as you get older, obviously it shifts. Now the joy is like having the kids come to your, your door. Um, and seeing what they're dressed up as. But yeah, we party. I mean, Halloween for us is on October 31st, but then it also, depending on where that lies, it's either celebrated on the weekend before or the weekend after. So clubs will have events. People will go out around town, you know, dressed up. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the city. So yeah, it's a fun, really fun event. This year it was, it was raining and it was actually really cold, horrible weather. So it was kind of ruined a bit for the kids. That's pretty much typical. Like in Cleveland, I mean, Toronto, Cleveland, we're pretty much like up and down. So we kind of get a, a similar forecast. But if, it, if when I was a kid, if it wasn't rainy or sleety, you're like, why is this really Halloween? <laughs> so does Canada have a president? No, we do not. You have a prime minister, right? We do. Our politics are so confusing right now. It is like kind of embarrassing to, to actually, you guys have more of an embarrassing political situation right now than we do. Absolutely. Interesting. And, and to be honest, Canada talks more about your politics uh, than we do about our own. Because I think you guys kind of got a lot of it figured from what I hear. You got it figured out and we're just too busy babbling to be like, oh, well, we don't want to do that because it, it works I, up there. Look, what it has done uh, for us it is actually politics has never been as big in Canada as it was in the US. For some reason, we actually in our news, we hear more about your politics than we do about ours. So what that has done, and, and I guess a bit of the drama that has been involved in our politics in the last uh, few years, is kind of brought attention to it, which is good because more people are talking about it. Um, I tend to in a group setting or at a party, stay away from the politics uh, <laughs> conversation because it's one of those that you never want to get into. Um, but I mean, it's important. People need to be talking about it. It's embarrassing when other countries get the, the insane tidbits of what's <laughs> happening in Canada because we're actually a really amazing country in a lot of ways. Um, we just maybe haven't made the best choices politically in the last uh, few years or so. But I mean, we know more about Trump than <laughs> I'm sure you know about Trudeau at this point. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy in that way. I mean, at least from my, my angle of the news, the only thing I could think of, like, we just get stupid stereotypes of Canada. We don't really get, like, news of it. You know, it's kind of just like we've been making Canadian bacon and hockey jokes for 50 years. and we really... igloos? Uh, I don't really think of igloos. The, the one big one is the Canadians never lock their doors. And I did a quick little like questionnaire the last time I was in New, uh, Niagara Falls. And apparently a lot of you don't lock your doors. We all lock our doors. It, it, to be honest, it depends on where you live, though. Canada is so massive that if you're living in, in a city, um, mm -hmm. you're probably going to lock your doors. I lock my doors. Uh, if you're up north in the country or if you're at your cottage, yeah, there's a lot of times where we don't you don't even have to think about it. So I think it depends on where you live. If you're small town country living, you have less worries in that way. If you're in a city and there's, you know, people walking by your house at 3 a.m. drunk, then yeah, you're going to take precautions. So I, I think every country has its pockets, mm -hmm. you know, right. it's bad areas, it's more dangerous. Um, so I think you just have to be careful depending on where you live, but I wouldn't say that's the general rule of Canada. That's I think even like the few, few like uh, areas of Toronto that I walked through that kind of felt shifty, even in a shifty neighborhood, you guys are so much nicer than we're like, 
you walk through a shifty area here, you're like, I'm getting stabbed and robbed and probably not the same order. But in the candidate, you're like, he's probably going to say sorry after he robs me. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> always the joke is that we're so polite. I'm like, is that a bad thing? No, it's a great thing. A good thing, yeah. So the next one, um, does Canada have freedom of speech? Yes, I would say so. I mean, that's a loaded question. Um, from my perspective, I would say so, but I bet there are certain people or certain cultures in the country that don't necessarily feel like they have freedom of speech. I mean, legally, yes, anyone can say and, and do what they want, and you know, unless we're talking about illegal things. Um, I think that there's uh, racism in every country and in some places. We are pretty darn good in the sense that we are such a melting pot, specifically in Toronto, but in Canada as well. Um, we welcome all sorts of different cultures, and I think that's what makes Canada beautiful. But, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody else. For me, I feel like there's freedom of speech, but I'm sure there are people or cultures who live in Canada who might feel like um, they don't necessarily have that liberty as much as someone like I do. So, yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question. Are there any uh, any topics that are just off the like public conversation? Like, are there anything that you'd say if somebody here be like, oh, no, or is, is it kind of just anything's on the table and talk about I mean, it really? for me, generally speaking, everything, I'm kind of an open book. Um, you know, I don't shy away from heavy conversations. There's, there's certain conversations that people try to avoid, I think, in social settings. You know, you don't necessarily want to bring up politics. You don't necessarily want to bring up religion um, because those topics can get heated really quickly. Uh, for me, sometimes, you know what, it's interesting learning about other people's viewpoints. So no topic is off limits, but it, as long as you come at the conversation with an open mind and um, in it to learn something instead of schooling someone in that department, I think that's where things can get a little messy. If you feel like you're being attacked with information or that somebody is trying to convince you of something, then automatically you can get your back up. So again, I can't speak for everybody. I'm pretty much open to any sorts of conversations. Um, but yeah, I guess there's some that I would avoid at a party if you want to keep it, you know, light and, and, and fun. You don't want to get gotcha. into religion. Well, like in America, to me, every like three days, we get more and more politically correct. Is it kind of the same up there? Is it kind of, does it happen slower, those type of changes up, up north? Um, I, you know, what's funny, I think that we're more politically correct right now than we have ever been in a weird way. Um, I think there's positives on, on both ends both ends of that uh, coin it is something that you know I, I joked the other day actually that comedians are the only ones right now that can get away with anything it's like mm. you can bring up any topic and if you're a comedian you know the audience is like oh well that's what he does for a living he's a comedian he can get away with it uh if you're just someone at the water cooler at work and you want to bring up some heavy piece of news or or a very <laughs> um, pointed opinion of yours that can be something totally different so yeah i think we're we're, we're getting more safe in our conversations and our choices, even for what we're putting on television. Um, there's reasons behind it. It's it's to make everyone feel welcome and respected and, and not to hurt any feelings. But at the same time, I think we've almost crossed the line where it's too politically correct, where you have to be careful of everything that comes out of your mouth because you're so scared of offending someone. And mm. it, I, I don't really have a filter sometimes, Colin, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> sometimes it's hard for me to live in that world. Right. But yeah, I think we're becoming more and more politically correct uh, as the time goes on, for sure. Yeah, I found it interesting with the podcast. If, if you ask a lot of people under the age of 25 to give you a top three list of people, 
the, the amount of anxiety that fills in them because they instantly start thinking of, oh no, there's a hundred people that I'm not, I'm going to leave out and somebody's going to be upset and somebody's going to be sad. And you're like, as for top three, if somebody doesn't understand like top three, like it's yeah. the first thing that you came up with or, yeah. you know, the first of mine, like there's nothing to be afraid that like, if you're not, you're like, if you're not overly inclusionary, people are like afraid. <laughs> totally. So we know about free speech now. Um, does Canada have pennies? Not anymore. I mean, they're, they still exist. I probably have a couple in my wallet right now, actually. Uh, but we abolished the penny a while ago, which, why did we even have a penny to begin with? I don't know. Uh, the funny thing is, though, the now everyone rounds up instead of rounding down. So if something cost 97 cents before, it's now costing a dollar. So over time, it's actually everything is costing you a little bit more and it does add up. Um, where did all the pennies go? I don't know. There was boxes in grocery stores and stuff that you would literally put in your pennies to exchange for bills. So I'm sure there's some random warehouse somewhere that's just, you know, filled top to bottom with pennies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no more. There was no point for pennies. I don't know why we had them to begin with, to be honest. Yeah, I think down here, I, I saw that it costs more to make a penny than a penny's worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of silly, right? Do you guys still have the... Uh... The queen with the bear behind, that's what, a quarter? The queen with the bear behind? Yeah, that's what, I, my, that's what my dad always called it. It's the, the coin, the, the queen is on front, and on, if you flip it, there's a bear. Is that a quarter? I, I, I don't even notice these things anymore, to be honest. I mean, our money changes, the images and the, the um, type of paper and whatnot that they use, like our new bills are ones that you cannot rip no matter what you do. Really? Uh, so it's constantly changing. That is, I'm not going to lie, something I don't even look at. I take money out of my pocket and I pay. You're going to make me get into my wallet right now to see if I have a quarter. Because it's funny, there's a bear on the back of it. I'm like, what? Watch me have no change in here. Yeah, zero change. That's a good problem to have. You only got bills. The, the ones that you just mentioned that won't rip, what happens if you put it like through the laundry? Does it still come out just looking like it did before? People say that you can, like you can cut through it. If you take scissors, you can definitely cut through it. But it is meant to, if it gets a little damp or if you, you know, physically take in your hands and rip it, it's supposed to be uh, durable money. Um, I'm sure there's ways around it. But yeah, well, I mean, bills would rip all the time and you'd have problems. You'd have to return it to the bank. And sometimes the bank would take it. And sometimes the bank would say, well, no, it's missing a piece out of it. It's we're not taking it. And so you'd be left with this $50 bill that you can't use. Uh, so <laughs> you're just trying to produce better quality money. That's awesome. All those pennies That's that they have. Yeah, they're using the money from that now to produce better bills, is what I think. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm all for it. Does Queen, Does Canada have a queen? No. You, do you, but you still, like, pledge, like, allegiance to the England queen or something, no? Mm, not really. No? No. I mean, if somebody does, it's a personal preference. Gotcha. Uh, no, in, in school, I mean, maybe some schools they do. For my experience, I never had to do that. We sang the national anthem saying oh canada first thing when you got to high school and that would be it cool does canada have a military that seems like a yes but we all think you're too pacifist we have a military we do have a military um it's certainly not as big as your military but we do have one i mean we have fought with you guys many a times before <laughs> so uh yeah i mean again it, it's funny because it's not a big topic of conversation in canada unless it has to be unless it comes to a time when um we're actually sending our troops out that's when it becomes more of a conversation uh but on a day-to-day -day basis i maybe have met two people that i've had relationships in in my life with uh that were a part of the canadian military you don't hear a lot about it i don't know that's interesting yeah 
Here, it's like if you don't know somebody in the military, it's kind of like a strange thing. I know. And a lot of people I've connected with on Instagram through this blog um, are, are males from the U.S. And 90% of them seem to be from the military. You look at all their photos and you can definitely tell they've been a part of the military at some point. So I think it's a way bigger thing uh, culturally for Americans and maybe more talked about, right? I mean, I think we also spend like 18 billion trillion dollars on military where I don't think you guys spend nearly that much. We definitely <laughs> don't spend 18 billion dollars on our military. I would have no idea what we actually do spend on our military. That would be right. an interesting question. Uh, but it's definitely not that high, I'll tell you that. And the last Does Canada question is, does Canada have free college? No. We have free when you're in grade school. So kindergarten to grade six, it's free. Um, high school would be free, depending if you're sending some your child to a specialty school. Uh, sometimes you do have to pay for those. Um, and then when you get into college or university, you are on your own. And I, I mean, we have a lot of supplemented programs. For me, it was OSAP. Um, I paid into OSAP to go to university, which is basically like a government loan for students. And once you come out, then you're paying per month until you've paid off that loan. And, you know, like any other loan, the interest ends up killing you at that age. Mm. Uh, but it's definitely not free. Our health care, gotcha. however, is free, Colin. And is it, it like if I was an American politician, I'd say that your, your free health care, it's great that it's free, but it's shit. As a real Canadian, is it good? Is it is it something that like is it a plan that everybody should adopt? How do you feel about the you Canadian? Kind of hit the nail on the head. It's funny. My so my sister is a nurse in the U.S. Believe it or not, and she has that argument all the time. She's like, "Yeah, great, it's free, but it's shit." So if you're <laughs> you know, um, if you have a disease and you're on a list to get an organ or on a list to have surgery, sometimes you can be on that list for a year or two years, and in the meantime, that disease has either gotten way worse or that person has passed on, sadly. So there are serious problems in our medical system, but it is also beautiful in a lot of ways. People will argue that we pay higher taxes, and that is why our medical, um, uh, you know, is free. So really, we're still kind of paying for it. But the luxury of having a cold, having a simple, you know, bout of bronchitis or strep throat and being able to go to the doctor and get a prescription for that and not have to pay for that doctor's appointment is amazing. If your appendix all of a sudden is, you know, bursts, you have to go to the hospital. That's free. And in the US, I keep hearing these nightmare stories about how much it costs people and how if you don't have that money, you're either going into debt or you're not getting the health care. And to me, that would be a terrifying notion to know that I don't have that um, safety blanket. So yeah, there, you know, people complain, oh, you take a long time, the doctors are overworked here, there's always, you know, a huge wait in, uh, in the waiting room if you're waiting for your doctor. But really, the issues are, are small in the scheme of things because in and like you said if you have like a cold or bronchitis that you get the prescription it's free do you get in like right away or is that kind of like you're waiting a week or two to go get that script so the actual prescription may not be free it depends the doctor's appointment will always be free some things are covered um depending some medications some specialist appointments would be covered but it also depends on if you have uh, coverage through your work so for me because i'm self-employed i would actually pay for my prescriptions Yes, there is a wait when you go in. You can make a, you can go into the walk-in clinic. There'll still be a wait, but that's that's easy. If you make an appointment with your own doctor, yeah, I've sat in the office for an hour, sometimes two hours. They're just so overworked and they have so many people to see that it seems to be a very quickly run. Um, you know, sometimes the joke too is that you feel like your doctor doesn't really have time for you. So they come in, okay, hey, what's your problem? Everything's quick, quick, quick. Here you go, write your prescription and they're out. And you feel like you're like, whoa, what just happened? That was like a three-minute meeting, and I don't really know what the answer is, right? 
So there's good and there's bad. That's not all doctors. There's some fantastic doctors in Toronto that I have dealt with before. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a heated conversation in a way too, right? Some people love our <laughs> system and some people think it's, it, it's a joke. But I would right. far rather deal with the Canadian medical system than have a serious illness or a serious injury and, you know, just be trapped by the fact that I don't have the money to pay for that. And I can't imagine what that feels like for the average family, especially if you have a child that's sick, right? That's got to be really, really hard. So we are definitely lucky to have the system that we do, I think. Absolutely. Now that we know all about Canada, let's learn more, more about you. Well, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done, it seems like every type of acting from stage to theater to TV to a little bit of movies, a little bit of everything. When did all that start? Were you always trying to just be in front of the crowd doing crazy things or when did the acting bug hit, hit you? Yeah, pretty early on. Uh, my parents will say that it happened when I was a young child when they brought me to the Young People's Theater. That's a well-known uh, theater in Toronto that literally puts on shows just for children. And I think it was Jacob Tutu uh, was the first show I saw. And my dad will say, you know, I was sitting in the front row and this the lead character comes out on stage and he said, your mouth was open the entire time. And I was just looking at this guy in awe. Um, and that kind of was the beginning of the journey for me as I became really obsessed with any kind of live entertainment and theater specifically. Started acting in, I would say, about grade five or six and, you know, uh, school shows and then started taking it seriously in grade nine when I decided to audition for a musical theater high school called Wexford in Scarborough and that experience I got in and that experience literally changed my life and my high school experience was so different than the other high school experiences I would hear about because it was a school people were there because they wanted to be there people were there mm -hmm. because they had a passion for either you know the visual arts for dance for singing for theater whatever it may be so it was kind of the most innocent high school ever. Like, I don't remember there ever being a, a fight in the hallway or, you know, drugs in the bathroom. Like, it was a pretty unique experience because people were literally focusing on their art. I would be there till 9.30, 10 p.m. because I wanted to be, you know, rehearsing mm -hmm. and working on projects instead of the regular kid that's like, can't wait to get out of school and go home, right? <laughs> so that's kind of where it shifted. I got my first agent at the age of 15. I would have been in grade nine at that time. And, um, and did musical theater and auditioned for commercials and print ads and whatnot for like the next five or, or six years. And then decided to go to university for acting, which I went to the University of Windsor and was there uh, for about two years. And then I ran into some medical issues at the time and had to, had to leave school because of those medical issues. So um, there's been, I've had a few bumps in the road along the way. And sometimes they shift your path and bring you in a different direction that you didn't know you know, was good for you. And that's kind of what happened when I was doing musical theater. Um, I ended up getting nodes, which is uh, nodules that form on your vocal cords and you end up losing your, your voice and it becomes, can become a quite a large issue. The, the most famous um, case of that is Julie Andrews. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's usually the person that people think of when they think of nodes. Gotcha. And I couldn't talk anymore. So I had to make the decision. I couldn't stay in university and do a performance program. Uh, literally my best friend at the time was, was, taking meetings for me and I had a little scratchy board, you know, telling her like, Oh, tell them this, tell them this. And we begged for me to stay in the program. She'll do more essays. She'll be at every class. She'll do this and that. I just couldn't do the performance part because I literally couldn't make a sound at that point. Um, and in the end, I just wasn't able to do it. I needed months and months to heal and to get better. So I had to take uh, the leave. And then once I left, it took a lot longer than I thought to get to a point where I could speak normally again. Um, and so that shifted things for me because I knew that musical theater probably wasn't going to be a career choice for me or a long-term thing because I continuously can, um, had problems with 
with my voice due to this uh, issue. So then that's kind of what brought me into the hosting world, which to be honest, I never really considered. I didn't know I was even good at it until I got my first gig and, and I was like, oh man, this is fun. I like interviewing <laughs> people. I like learning about people and asking them questions. And um, I have a background in improv. So I was good at the impromptu, you know, when there's no filler and you don't know what to say, just reacting with the person and making them laugh and whatnot. So that's kind of what brought me into the hosting thing, which gave me a little bit of relief because I was so upset that I had to leave theater, uh, musical theater. So that new joy uh, that was brought to my life was like, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. This is something I hadn't considered, but I actually really love. So ride the wave, right? Um, and so I did that for the next few years and I landed this amazing job that was probably, you know, any actor's dream job, which was hosting a television show for HGTV Canada called Live Here by This. And that um, ended up with us traveling the world for two and a half years with the most amazing crew that became like family, like road family, to be honest. And I'm someone that I can travel and, and never come home. You know, I could come home for two days once a year and see my family and be like, okay, bye, I'm out again. Uh, I don't tend to get homesick. So for me, it was an amazing time. We'd be out on the road for five weeks, home for one, back out on the road for five weeks, home for one. And that was like a dream job to me. So I learned a lot. It was a, a show about real estate. And uh, the basic concept is what you can get in other countries. So we would come to your house, uh, Colin, and you know, wherever you were, Ohio, and we'd appraise your home. And let's say it's worth $400,000. And we'd say, in a fantasy world, where in the world would you want to live? Don't think about money. Don't think about education. Don't think about your children. All those things you would normally think about when you're making a move, this is pure fantasy. You would go ahead and pick three places, maybe one in the Caribbean, a place in the States, a place in Canada. And it was our job to then go on the road to those countries, to those places, and find a home of the equivalent, so $400,000, and show you what you can get anywhere in the world on the same budget. Because people often have those fantasies sitting on the couch of, oh, I wish I could live in the Caribbean by the water and I wish I could do this. And, and they don't know that a lot of the time you can actually do those things on the same budget that you're living on right now. It's just having the guts to take that chance and to go make that move, right? So at the end of the episode, you'd see three different countries, two homes in each. And we'd say, okay, so are you going to stay at home in your comfort zone? and you know uh, continue living the way you're living or are you going to take one of these opportunities and move to this country and, and leave everything and start all over again and that was the concept so that opened my eyes up to real estate in other countries uh what you can get sometimes you could you could literally get a mansion in belize on the water for the for what you're living in a, in a small condo in toronto it just mm -hmm. all depends on what your priorities are in life and what you want right um so when I came back from that show, uh, it only had two seasons. It ended up getting canceled at season three. It it kind of brought up a new love for real estate. So I ended up coming home to Toronto and um, investing in my first triplex. So And I didn't have a lot of money at the time. So I ended up buying what I call a shithole. <laughs> like if anyone <laughs> saw this house, they'd be like, you're crazy. And uh, my father and I renovated this house for the next um, year and a half. And literally, I would live in the middle unit. We rented or we uh, renovated the basement, got a tenant in there, and then started working on upstairs. And when that was done, got a tenant in there, and I lived in the main floor. And I basically played landlord for the next uh, two years. So it's funny the journeys you go on, you know, and work and, and kind of what it opens your mind to. But now I'm interested in flipping more homes and, and investing in real estate, which was never even on my radar. <laughs> Right. You know, so it's it's been kind of an interesting journey. And that show actually now talking about the company that I currently have, um, 
what happened is, so I went back to school in 2007 for makeup and I was trying to find something that I would enjoy um, and have a passion for, but I didn't really know what that was at the time. I knew that I didn't want to be stuck serving tables or bartending for the rest of my life, which is what a lot of actors have to do to get by. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to stay in this industry that I knew and I loved so much. So I went back to school for makeup, um, came out, ended up getting this job with HGTV Canada and find and I find out that I'm going to be on the road for this amount of time. And I thought, okay, well, I have all these clients booked for the summer. What do I do? I can't just leave them high and dry. So I ended up hiring one woman um, who was a makeup and hair artist and said, you know, if you take all of my jobs for the summer uh, and then when I come back, I can take over my work and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it ended up working wonderfully. And, and a crew member on the, um, on the road actually had said, well, why don't you continue with that idea and, and build a team at home? And that way it gives you the flexibility to do your acting stuff on the side. So if I have an audition, I can call one of my team members and mm-hmm. say, hey, can you pick up this gig tomorrow? I want to do this audition or, you know, it gives me that flexibility. So that's basically the birth of Flawless by Design. And what happened is that I hired one. And then within that year, I ended up having six employees. And now I'm up to 13. Um, You're killing it. What's that? You're, You're killing, killing it. it. I'm trying, Colin. I'm trying to kill it. It's taking time, right? It's a, it's, it's a process. Uh, but yeah, now we do hair, we do makeup, and I have um, some wardrobe uh, stylists on my roster as well. And again, I can choose the jobs that I want to do. And if I have an audition or another project I'm working on, I can send one of my team members out instead. So it really has allowed me the flexibility to do everything I love and not just focus on one area in my career, which has been pretty amazing. And, and uh, uh, I'm going to run it back just a little okay. bit. Oh, we got reverb. Where is that coming from? Um, w- within your HGTV show, what would be one or two things that somebody that watched that show all the time would have no idea really was going on behind the scenes? Does it just take a lot more work than people would think? Or is it kind of just what things would people not think if they weren't, if they, if they were behind the camera, what would they know? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think the, uh, the biggest thing that people don't know about the industry in general is how long everything takes. You see a 30 second commercial on TV and people think that maybe that took you two hours. A commercial can take up to one to two full days. And sometimes that's 12 to 14 hour days. So with the show, we actually spend about three to four days per one episode. And each episode was a half an hour. So when you Mm -hmm. look at how many different cuts, I mean, keep in mind that that one episode was taking place in three different countries. So we literally had three separate teams and three countries all at the same time traveling and shooting, you know, wherever they were. Uh, There's something called B-roll, which is like all your filler in between and your, your, your background images. So if we're shooting, let's say, a flat in Paris... Um, the camera guy would go out with the sound guy and they would shoot all the little bits, people walking on the street, their cafes, their nightlife, showing, you know, the playgrounds where the kids are, the beach life. So that's what's giving you um, a feel for the space. You're not just seeing the condo. You know, it's like if you were to move to Toronto, you don't want to just know what your condo looks like. You want to know what is the essence of Toronto? What am I going to get? when I move to that city, what is my life going to be like? And that is what B-roll is, is filling in the story of, of the area that we're shooting. So that stuff takes time. So we'd have, mm-hmm. you know, hosting bits for half of a day. Then the next half of a day would be a tour with a real estate agent there touring a home. The next day might be another two tours and then a full day of B-roll. So when people hear that, they're like, that's insane. And that's TV mm-hmm. for you. And that's why it costs so much money, especially with traveling shows. So I would say that's the biggest um, thing that people don't don't know about in the industry. That's for sure. And long, long hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned B-roll and I know what B-roll is, but like you said, a lot of people don't. I, whenever I watch those shows and you also mentioned the expenses of putting them together, have any of the travel shows that you've been on or any of the TV shows 
Are, are they using any stock footage or are they shooting all of it uh, raw themselves? Um, usually we're, the ones that I have been on, we're usually doing it raw. Um, sometimes you can use stock footage. I'm not sure what the rules and regulations are behind that. If it's within the same production company and they were shooting in the same country multiple times, they can use footage that they have taken from another trip. That's no problem. Um, you usually have to pay obviously for stock footage and stuff. So I don't know right. what the costs are, you know, related to that. If we're in the country shooting already, it seems kind of crazy not to go right. out and shoot it ourselves. Um, but sometimes like we were in Italy and, and we had a bout of really bad weather. And we just weren't able to get those images that we wanted to. It was raining and, and way colder than it was supposed to be at the time. So a lot of the uh, wineries were bare. There wasn't leaves on the trees. It was dark and gloomy. And it wasn't the, the fantasy visual that we wanted people to have when they thought of Italy, which is most for most of the year a stunning place to be in. So in that case, we ended up having to fly back at a different time and go and get that footage. They chose not to use uh, stock footage. So I think that really depends on a, it's a show to show basis and how they want to work it. Um, but in my experience, we've mostly gotten uh, the real footage. And uh, you mentioned Italy, you mentioned going down to South America. What was the hardest place to work at in the world for you? And what was your favorite place to work at in the world? People ask me my favorite places all the time. And it is so hard to choose a few of them. I think there's my favorite places tend to be the places that I had the most um, or the best experiences in. So it's not necessarily a reflection on, on the right. location, but just the memories that, that came from that location. So I would say Hawaii was one of my uh, favorite destinations for sure. I've been there three times and uh, the experiences that I had with the crew outside of shooting were probably the most memorable. And, uh, you know, climbing a, a active vol volcano in the middle of the night, the people we met, the, you know, <laughs> parting we would do on the beach after shooting, all that kind of stuff. New Orleans stole a, a piece of my heart, to be honest. Um, you know, when you look at different places that you've traveled and you think, what are places that I could actually live in? New Orleans is one of those for me. When it comes to the culture, the music, the food, the people, everything, the, how bright everything is, the artwork in the streets. It just, there was something about it that when I left New Orleans, I was like, oh God, I just like the piece of me was left in that city. Um, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause you there. Cause I'm going to steal some of your expertise. I'm going to New Orleans for the first time in about a month. Oh, nice. If, if there's two or three places that I have to either see or eat at, oh. where would they be? I, okay, so I'm really bad at names. There are a few places you should eat at, and I will have to look them up to get you the names. Uh, there was this place in the city that had a lineup that was um, known for all their stews. Uh, amazing. You have to get a beignet. That's like their thing. It's a, it's a dessert. Right. Um, I would it's think just such a glorified donut, but I'm sure down there, just the essence of being down there makes it taste different. Than I'm allergic to gluten, to be honest. I wasn't able to eat it myself, but it had like these places would have lineups down the street. So there's got to be something that's worth it. And you'd always see people dipping in, in, it into their cappuccino. So I think that's the best way to eat it. Um, you have to try praline, which is like a little dessert. It almost looks like a, um, a turtle without the chocolate on it. It's like this really soft caramel thing with nuts in it. Amazing. Um, and I would say like Checo Bourbon Street, honestly, I wouldn't stay on Bourbon Street. It is it is a very touristy, it's like a mini Vegas in my mind. And it's cool to see, cool to do for one right. night. I tend to veer away from the touristy stuff. So instead I would suggest going to Frenchman Street, which is the downtown um, street that the locals would go to. Uh, and music and food is what you gotta do your whole trip. Like you can right. bar hop in New Orleans, from place to place, there's no cover getting in, which is awesome because in Toronto we usually have cover when there's live music. Um, they take tips on the uh, 
if a band is playing, they'll have a little bucket outside for tips or whatever. But you could see like 20 different bands in a night. Any player can go up on the street and, and join in. It's just like a huge jam session. It is so much fun. So you're for oh. sure going to have a blast when you're there. But I wouldn't stay on Bourbon Street. There's too many other things to, to throw. Right. I'm kind of I'm kind of the same as you with that. I, I like to see the main thing just to have the visual when people are talking. Oh yeah, we were there and blah blah blah. But I'd rather see that and then go see like what's not on HGTV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and go pick up a piece of artwork. They have such beautiful art there of all different types. Right? There's a um, yeah, it tends to see even just walking through downtown. I mean, there's so many different shops and markets, and you're gonna have a black oh, you have to try alligator alligator stew. Or alligator skewers, you have to try. I've had I've had fried alligator before down in Florida. Okay, sometimes it can be tough. When it's in a stew, it was really really good. And frog right. legs. Yeah, fr frog legs are another one of those where like nine and a half times out of ten you don't want to eat them, but like in the bayou, like you trust it. it as is, long as the guy has like no teeth and you can't understand what he just told you, I trust it. They serve it like wings, like chicken wings. It is mm -hmm. literally so much tastier than chicken wings, and it was kind of a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm a little bit adventurous when it comes to food. When I'm traveling, I always feel like, you know, when in Rome, you might as well do it. Uh, so tasty. And everything's Cajun and really well spiced. And you, you can't go wrong with the food, to be honest. You just got to right. try everything. Rabbit stew we had. We had a little bit of everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. My biggest pet peeve, I, I hate flying. I like to, if, I, if I'm traveling, I want to drive, do the road trip. But I, I like taking the back roads. My wife likes to take the interstate. But the interstate is the worst thing in the world because it's like this is america but it's mcdonald's burger yeah. king and a gas station like that's all you get like i want to go find like joe's diner that i'm never going to come back here again and probably get food poisoning but it's going to be a great it's totally worth it though totally the best is to always ask the um i mean there's some great websites and TripAdvisor and all these places you can get um you know really good advice on but they tend to tell you what the touristy spots are. I have always had a knack for, you know, talking to the locals when you get there. That's the best thing. For sure. Look, I want the best food in town. I don't want to know where the tourists are going. Where do you go on a Saturday right. when you're going out with your family? And as soon as you start, you know, building those relationships and communicating with the locals, you can't go wrong. They're going to tell you the best music spots, the best places to get food, the best art galleries. For sure. You just have to, uh, you know, got to meet some friends while you're there. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. People that are just on their trip advisor, they're not going to get nearly as saying, you look interesting. What do you want to do today? What do you, where, where, where do we need to go? I mean, not to, trip advisor can be great sometimes, right? Depending. Right. You can find some really cool spots, but uh, you know, make that like 80% of your trip. And then for that other 20%, find those little mom and pop shops sure. that need the business. Um, Cause usually they're the best cooking. <laughs> you know, they really are. Absolutely. And of all the jobs that you've done uh, within the production of TV, film, everything, if you could only pick one role, whether it's acting or makeup or producing, doing vlogs, doing YouTube, I got to do like 10 more things because your IMDb is ridiculously long. But if you could only pick one role, where are you most comfortable doing that forever? In front of camera, for sure. And I don't know if I can narrow that down. It would probably be either hosting or comedy. I don't know. It, it's, I mean, the dream job, we don't really have sitcoms here. We have television shows that are under the comedy realm. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, growing up, that was always the thing. If I could be on a sitcom, that'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> so probably one of those two. I mean, I love so many different areas of the industry. Um, and, and, and the vlog, I guess, has brought up a way to, to do it on my own terms. You're not just waiting at home for your agent to call and say, hey, you got an, an audition tomorrow. It's You are able to make the stuff that you want to make, which is... Um, which is really cool in, in a way. And it's good to have um, that control, I guess. So somewhere in that realm, but definitely in front of camera, I would say.
Gotcha. So you brought up another good point there with, you know, the difference of what it's like to get a corporate show produced and also doing your own. I have an idea for a, a dating thing. Let me make it and put it out now. Is it worth giving up the marketing and the reach to do it all on your own and have your own say as a creator? Or is it kind of better to be like, I could kind of influence this show, but it'll be seen and my influence will be to a million people. Yeah, see, it, it depends on where you're going with that show, right? There's different ways of doing it. Um, since this dating blog, I've had some really cool opportunities come to me, uh, you know, where production companies want to turn something into something different. And in that case, it would be me as the talent, but they're basically producing the show and, and, and putting the money behind it. If it's stuff like my vlogs, that's up to me. So when it comes to the marketing, when it comes to editing, when it comes to filming it, all of that stuff, it's just me. So the benefit of having a production company behind you is you have money behind you. And you mm -hmm. have a team of people that are that are making something on your behalf. So there's many ways you can do it. I've pitched shows before, you know, with a director friend of mine um, to production companies, and that's just because the idea of the show and the money that we are going to require to put that show on, we just don't personally have. We need that backup. So you go to a production company and say, "Hey, hey, here's my ideas." You know, if you're interested in, in partnering on any of these ideas, let's talk. And sometimes they'll come back to you and say, no, we don't really, we, we can't fly with any of those. Or sometimes they'll pick one or two ideas and say, we think that's great. We'll give you money for um, a teaser. Let's shoot a teaser and then we'll try to pitch them to networks and let's see what happens. There's no guarantee in this industry ever, you know, so mm -hmm. the chances of your show actually getting picked up are super slim. But at the same time, if you love doing it and that's your dream, then you have to put yourself out there to see what happens, right? You, you never know. It only takes that one person who believes in you to pick up your show and then who knows what can happen. So, I mean, there's benefits to either side. I love having the creative um, control in a way and knowing where my idea is going to go. I like that part. But sometimes it's nice for a production company to do the work and come to you and say, hey, we just need your talent. This is the deal. You know, here's your script. Everything's done for you. There's something really nice about that, too. Right. And uh, speaking of talent, you have the talent of the host and you've kind of honed that for years. If somebody was becoming a TV, either a TV show host or say a podcast host, wink, wink, <laughs> what are three tips that you could give somebody on making sure that an interview goes well? Um, I mean, there's no guarantees, right? There's the, the beauty is that you can edit in a lot of things when you're doing live television. It's a, it's a lot different. Um, right. I think listening is the most important thing when you're doing interviews keeping it fun, keeping it light, depending on obviously what your interview is about. Um, if the other person, usually the other person is more nervous than you are. You know, it doesn't matter how nervous you get, the person who's not used to being on camera is usually terrified. So I think part of your job is to make that person feel super comfortable before the interview even starts. Um, and, and a lot of time the people I interview will share that with me, like, oh, I've never done this before. I've never been like, this is terrifying. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. And guess what? <laughs> if you screw it up, we do it again. Like, it's really not that terrifying. If you're unhappy with your answer, we make them roll again and, and, and we'll edit that out. And I think once you build a rapport and um, a little bit of a friendship and they trust you a little bit more, then they will open up to you. You can get more out of someone when they like who you are and you have this mm -hmm. really nice, welcoming um, energy about you. If, if you come into it with, you know, um, a little bit of attitude and your walls up a bit, well, Who's, who's going to talk to you about the deep stuff or the important things going on in their life? They're not. Um, so I think that is really important, doing your homework, uh, you know, depending on who you're interviewing or what topics you're talking about. 
do your research, feel comfortable about that topic. So God forbid there's a huge lull in the interview where they're, they're not talking or giving you, you know, one word answers. There's something else you can go to. And uh, sometimes I think over planning in an interview can be, um, can be death <laughs> to the interview in a way. Like if you right. know exactly every single question you want to hit, um, sometimes I think that ruins the flow because instead of listening to their answer and then just going with it and letting that bring you to the next topic, you and your mind are busy thinking, okay, I was supposed to ask her this next, or I have to go, you know, bring her to this topic. And I said that I think when we were emailing each other back and forth a couple of days ago was that naturally who knows where this interview is going to go. And a lot of Absolutely. times you plan it and it actually goes somewhere quite different. And sometimes you, that's where you find the most beautiful moments is, you know, just going with the flow. So prepare, but I would not be overly prepared if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and, and sorry, one more, like big one, be you, because there are a million interviewers out there. There are people, you know, so many podcasts right now, so many blogs. And the only thing that you can bring to this topic is the way that Colin does it. Anybody can do a podcast about business, about entrepreneurship, about whatever they want to do about what makes you special is that there's not another Colin out there. So I think finding your niche, um, and that's kind of what I did in the dating world is I came from a comedy background. So me, it was natural to take a, a topic that can be very frustrating and sometimes, you know, sad and depressing and, and all of those things. How do I find a comedic spin on it? You know, and a lot of times dealing with hard things in life and making them funny makes it a little bit easier to deal with. So I figured, okay, right. there's a million different dating coaches out there and dating vlogs and dating podcasts. What do I want to do with mine? I want to be you know, a little bit more vulgar. I want to be open about the information and, and say exactly what's on my mind, bring comedy to it. And the people who like it will like it. And the people that offends won't watch it. Right. But that's kind of my personal take on it. So I think that's hugely important too. what you bring to the table. You did, you did a great job with the, uh, uh, I forget the exact title, but the, was it, can I have my money back? The one where the guy showed up and just drank his ass off and ate as much as he could yeah. and happened to forget his wallet. Yep. That, that was a funny one. I think that was one of my favorite one of you. Like, I never watched dating vlogs. So the fact that I liked any of yours, you killed it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's a mild story. I have so many stories and I'm kind of working up to them, to be honest. Um, some of them are so insanely extreme that, you know, people will be like, how does that happen? Is that real? And it is real, sadly enough. Um, but I'm slowly working up to them in the vlog. So there's there's more to come, believe me. And uh, to wrap up the interview topic, um, as soon as you were talking, I thought of it being that he, he is a Canadian. Have you ever met or do you know about Nardwar? No. You don't know Nardwar? No. Oh, you got to look him up. He is the funniest thing coming out of Canada, I guess, next to you. We got to give you more credit because you're on the show. But <laughs> Nardwar, he's been interviewing Only people. Only because you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew about the show, so that he, you're, you're way more intelligent than Nardwar, apparently. <laughs> But uh, he's been doing it for like 30 years, 20 years. Like he started off like MT early MTV days, like Kurt Cobain. I remember seeing those interviews, yeah, yeah. but like he's the most thorough prepared interview ever. Like he shows up to different rappers or celebrities or whatever with like gifts and information about their childhood, like gym teacher or something like that. And like, just like he blows them away with the research that he does. Right. And then he, one of his, like his thing is he ends up, ends every show with do, 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 do. Doot, doot. And then he just like freezes and it's hilarious, but check him out. It, it, you could waste tons of time, but he's, what's his full name? The Nardwar, the. I probably recognize him. I'm horrible. With something the serviette. He's got like crazy hair. He usually wears a funny little hat, crazy clothes. 
um, look him up. He's good oh, stuff. That's funny. And that's a good way to open up your interviewer too, right? Or your interviewee. Right. Is if you mention something really special from the childhood, then that's just like, oh, wow, how did you know that? That kind of hits a, a soft spot with them. So it's a good good little strategy for sure. Yeah. And uh, or like if he's with a musician, he'll bring like a, a, a you know, like a old vinyl disc of their favorite whatever, something that they sampled in the smallest little bit of a song. It's like, oh, you sampled this. And they're like, oh, shit, you, you knew that. Okay. You know that? <laughs> that's so cute. Um, favorite commercial that you've ever done? You've had a couple of them that have got quite a bit of attention. Science World, Exxon, a couple other ones. What was the best commercial project you ever did? Oh my God, this one's a funny one. I think my favorite was one for the OSPCA. Um, I don't know if you saw it, the one where I dry humped that guy in a park. No, I, I got to find that. That okay, sounds funny. So basically the, the message of the commercial was if you wouldn't let your friend do it, don't let your dog do it. And then the tagline was spay and neuter your pets. So it was two girls sitting on a park bench having a chit chat, just like two moms going for a walk. And all of a sudden this guy comes walking by and I look, take one look at him. I run up to him and I'm literally humping his leg like a dog would. Um, and then the friend is just sitting there with her eyes bugged out like, oh my God, what's happening? And so the process was just funny because the audition for it, I remember going to the callback and it was down to two women. They didn't know who they were going with. And they had me in the room and they said, oh, we're going to just pair you up with a bunch of guys just to see your chemistry. Um, so they brought each guy in and I shook their hand. Oh, hi, I'm Chantel. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, OK, go ahead. And there wasn't dialogue with the guy. There was dialogue with the female. So literally all I was doing was pretending to dry or not even pretending dry humping these guys legs, doing that little <laughs> interaction. And they would leave and the next guy would come in. I was like, is this happening right now? Like, is this a real audition? And then the day of we shot downtown um, in a park. And I guess I didn't even think this through that, that it was on a normal weekend. So it was really busy. So they had cops that, you know, bordered off the park, but there was a huge group of people that were watching this and like kids in their strollers that were watching me hump a guy all day long in a public park in downtown Toronto. Like it was the worst. But and you gotta be like, no, it's for a good cause. I, I swear. swear. It's a commercial. I swear. Um, <laughs> and then the next day, the best was that I woke up the next day and I was literally sore from head to toe. <laughs> from having to do that motion over and over. And That's when I say hilarious. a million takes, there was literally a million takes of me gyrating to a, you know, a ridiculous dog-like speed. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I woke up feeling like I had just gone to the gym for seven days in a row, uh, which didn't happen, but that was probably the most unique experience. And in the end, I think that commercial was actually super funny and uh, I enjoyed doing it, of course. That's that's awesome. I can't wait to include that link into the interview. Oh, that, that'll be like, that, that, that's that comedic gold right there. That's awesome. Um, how are you getting all the different, is that agents that are putting you together with like these big, you know, Exxon and the OSPCA or, is it, or, or are you getting those yourselves? How, how does one get into the commercial work? Yeah. So it depends on if you, uh, most people have an agent, depends on if you're union or non-union. When you're non-union, you can often get your own work um, or build, you know, make your own work. It's a lot easier. I'm in the union, so once you become unionized, there's rules as to what you can do and what you can't do. So mostly it would be your agent. Uh, we don't really have managers in, in Canada. There are some agents slash managers, but we don't function the way that you guys would in the, the US necessarily. Um, so usually, yeah, they're the guys that would call you and say, okay, I've submitted you for this project. You have an audition tomorrow at 10 a.m. Here's your script. This is what you have to prepare, and then you're on your own. Um, anything beyond that, you would be producing and creating yourself. And when you're in the union, I mean, I can do some hosting, I can do some live events, I can do my own vlogging, podcasting, that kind of stuff. But I couldn't go and do a non-union commercial. 
um, because you just can't once you're a part of the union. So there are rules and regulations you have to follow. Right now, it is really, um, it's a good position to be in if you're non-union, because there's a lot of non-union work. So I've actually been telling actors like, hey, you know, ride the wave, stay non-union, just get as much as you can on your resume, as much um, practice and, and hone your skills. Um, and yeah, and then so you can submit yourself, you can go with your agent, you can approach these casting directors, you know, through Facebook or through their websites and get on their radar. There's so many ways of doing it. But generally speaking, if you're going to take it seriously, you would have an agent. And do you have any tips for people that are going to find an agent? I mean, I'm sure you didn't just put a point a name out of a phone book and just say they're going to be with me forever. Like, what are things that you look for when you're trying to find a good agent? Yeah. Um, so there's some really great resources in Ontario. Um, Actra uh, website is a really good resource. I'm sure there's um, different ones in the States as well uh, that will give you a list of reputable agencies because sadly there are still agencies that charge you up front, which is, you know, not something that's not supposed to happen um, that are not necessarily reputable. So you want to make sure you stay away from those. There's Facebook sites, um, Facebook groups that you can join that are the community. So you can literally message and say, Hey guys, I'm in the market for a new agent. Here's what I'm thinking. These are my top three. Let me know your thoughts. And people will tell you, no, I was with them had a horrible experience, don't do it. Or yay, you know, thumbs up, they're great. So it's good to, to connect with your community on that. Those are the people who are actively in the acting world and who have agents and they're gonna know the best. But do your research. Don't just go for a top agent because they're listed as one of the top agents. Go for an agent that you have a good relationship with and that you feel good about. And sometimes the smaller agencies when you're starting off are gonna be better because they usually take on a lot less clients. If you go to one of the top dogs and they have 500 people on their roster, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. So if you're mm -hmm. just starting out in the industry, focus on your skills, take classes, take courses, get some sort of resume together. And then eventually your goal is to put a demo reel together because a lot of agents won't even see you unless they see some sort of demo reel of, of your work. Then the next stage would be them setting up an interview with you and you work for each other. People have this weird um, mentality that, you work for the agent. It actually goes both ways. The agent is working for you and you're working for them. It has to be an equal partnership. So they're not just interviewing you. Do you get along with your agent? Do you feel confident around them? Do they see your talent and know how to market you in your very specific, you know, niche? That kind of stuff needs to be asked. Not don't just take them because they accept you. Is it a right relationship for you? Often they'll make you sign a year contract and then after that, I mean, you can leave them at any time. And sometimes agents just you run your course with them. You might be with them for three, four or five years, and then you just need to, to switch up to do something fresh and that's okay. And then you go back out and you start looking for a new one. So just do your work, um, meet with them. You know, I, I didn't take the decision lightly. Um, to me, there has to be a connection there and, and, and for us to be on the exact same page of where I want my career to go. And if you're in agreement, then you bite the bullet and you try it out because you never know until you do it, right? Absolutely. You don't get out of it what you want. That's okay. You can always reevaluate, have a meeting with them and say, this is not happening. And, you know, how do we make this happen and make that shift? Or you make a decision to go elsewhere. You're not married to them. There's no 10 year contract, which is great. So you're not going to be stuck in that relationship if you don't want to be. Absolutely. Um, let's start winding it all down. Um, I want to get your take because you're a business owner. You're also kind of a freelance, you know, with your uh, acting and stuff. What are the top three either computer applications or phone applications that get you through your day to manage everything? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, mine are probably boring things. Like I use wave for invoicing. I live on wave. I don't know. Um, Instagram is a huge one for me right now. I'm, I'm seem to be getting more business from Instagram than even my website, which was never a thing before. 
and is an opened up this amazing world of being able to connect with people all over in different countries. And I get messages from, you know, all sorts of places asking about dating advice or telling me their stories and, you know, so on and so forth. So Instagram, I spend a lot of time on there. Um, I'm spending less time on Facebook. I mean, I use it for business. I have business pages on Facebook, but been spending less time on there. Um, there are apps that organize your Instagram. So you can, you know, um, whether it's designing a post or designing a color scheme, um, planning a post, you know, is a lot easier when you're busy, um, is to kind of map out your entire week. So if you know, you know, you want your, your, um, pictures or your video to come out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7am, then you can do that ahead of time do all your hashtagging, all that stuff. And, and basically the app will do that work for you. That takes a lot of energy out of social media, believe it or not. What app are you using for that? Um, there's a few right now. I've uh, There's an app called Preview. That one I've been using for designing, but it doesn't necessarily um, post them for you. There's another one, so I'm just looking at my thing. Another one called Planoly, which has been pretty good. There was a, a few little um, issues with the app at some point. So I went off of it for a little bit, but that's a good one. Um, yeah, so preview is the one for design. Um, Spark Post is also an app I use a lot, which is great for YouTube videos. So basically you can design your cover for YouTube, for Instagram, you can pick your template and that's where you get your, um, cover image, or you can put, you know, your, your title of the video or a quote or whatever mm -hmm. on it. So Spark Post is the one I use quite a bit. Um, I mean, there's a ton. Uh, there's so many of the layout, Instagram layout. I use a lot for my makeup stuff and then you can kind of put collages together before and after shots, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and every other app on my phone is dating apps. No, <laughs> there's about 50 of them on here, Colin. No, I'm joking. Um, I mean, you're a professional. That's the same as, you know, if, if all I had was uh, sports gambling apps, but I had a gambling podcast, <laughs> I'm not, I don't have a problem. I'm doing research, but I'm not, what's funny is I'm not a serial dater. People assume that, in order to have this this blog, you have to be going on at six dates a week. That's not, I'm actually more choosy than that. That's not actually the, the truth of it. And I find that people will be scared uh, if I meet someone online or if I meet someone and there's a potential date, they will, now the new thing is to creep you on, on social media, which like you never had to worry about that before. So they know everything about you before you've even seen each other. And when they go on Instagram and find out that I vlog about this kind of stuff, well, in their mind, they're like, are you using me? First, am I content or am I a date? Am I going to be on this? Like, do I have to sign papers? So it's funny that it kind of creates this this whole other thing that I've never had to deal with before, where people want to know, you know, are you doing this for the right intentions or not? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Okay, just go with the flow. Go with the flow. Absolutely. And as a YouTuber, um, we've mentioned how you know, with the big company that you have a big budget, YouTubers tend to have little to negative budget. If you if you could start your YouTube channel with three pieces of equipment, other than computer, obviously, we're going to presume that you have, you know, a MacBook or some sort of computer that could handle editing software. Are you spending your money in lights and different editing stuff? Where would you put your resources if you could start your YouTube channel all over? Yeah, again? I think it would be, can an assistant be one of those? Yeah. <laughs> like hiring... I mean, if somebody can find a virtual assistant, by all means, go yeah, for it. Yeah, or like hiring someone to do the editing and the marketing part for me. That is what takes the most time and what I have the least amount of background in. So I find that a little difficult. Um, but having someone, if that was their niche and they can come in and do the editing and, and, and do all the um, designing part of it and get it up online, because learning how to market on YouTube, I mean, I have more of an audience on Instagram. That seems to be an easier platform for me. YouTube is getting harder and harder now to, to gain an audience because there's so 
much content on YouTube. YouTube is so convoluted in a way, right? Um, so that, I mean, I've done more research, I think, in Instagram than I have in YouTube. And maybe I do need to put more work into my YouTube game. But an assistant, for sure, someone to help me out. Um, a better uh, editing software, probably. I'm moving right now to Resolve 15. Um, I haven't tried that before, but it's been recommended. So I'm going to give it a try and see what happens. You're using a bunch of iMovie at the moment. Yeah, brutal. I've been meaning to move to Resolve 15 for like ever. And it just hasn't happened because of lack of time. I was using iMovie, to be honest, because I'm just used to it. That is where I feel comfortable. That's the thing that's killed me as, as like when I was a landscaper, I'd drive down the road and I'd be like, oh, look at that flower bed or look at that lawn or tree. And now that I've kind of transitioned into marketing and content creator, it's one of those like I'm watching a video. I was like, oh, they, they got that thing there from this website. They got that. That's iMovie's title. Like you just start breaking things apart. Like, oh, I know how they made that yeah, one. And you recognize the transitions <laughs> and the little, you know, things that they iMovie offers. It's not iMovie's fine when you're starting out. It's not something that I would recommend. If I was editing very complicated videos that had a lot right. involved, a lot of transitions, a lot of, you know, then I would definitely not be using iMovie. I feel like for vlogging, vlogging is very simple. You know, it's a simple setup. You're sitting in front of a light and you're, you're filming. It's not a big deal. I do want to try other software to be honest. So I will get back to you on that. I'll let you know how Resolve 15 is. Um, I talk a lot of shit on iMovie, but I, I have to always at least admit that I still use iMovie as kind of my initial point. Like a lot of times I'll take Say like we have this this full interview here. I'll take the full interview and I'll put it into iMovie and I'll use iMovie to chop it into segments for things that oh she said this or you know the Canadian stuff. We'll pull that out as a chunk and then I'll take it into Premiere Pro or After Effects or things like that. Yeah. But that one particular thing of how it how to split in iMovie is so much easier than every other thing. So I'll split everything there and then I'll send it to you know like you're saying a different program, a higher level program to add your texts and transitions and actually make it look like a professional thing instead right. of like, oh, I did this with my free software. So is Premiere your favorite? Pre Premiere Pro is definitely not my favorite. It's my number one used, um, but the learning curve on it is ridiculous. Right. Um, if you know a student, wink, wink, that has a student email, wink, wink, the of price to get the entire uh, Adobe suite is very affordable. Oh, really? Um, it's like 30 bucks a month, I think, 32 bucks a month I pay, and I get every bit of the Adobe suite, which Premiere Pro, Adobe, After Effects, Photoshop, really? uh, all of them. See, I found and Photoshop really overwhelming. And the amount of work and learning curve that took, I was like, oh, God, the video <laughs> editing must be a nightmare then. Well, if, if you've already figured out Photoshop, no. a lot of – it even if it's not figured out, if you kind of understand the layout of like, this is here, this is here, that's here. Once you move to Premiere Pro or any other Adobe, those same kind of where you drag and drop your things or where the effects tables and things like that are, are really similar. So once you've learned one, you've got a leg up on the others, but yeah, it takes a while to learn to really, but um, Premiere Gal on YouTube, great. It's the, it's the most beneficial YouTube channel I've found this whole year. Premiere Gal? Uh, Gal, G-A-L. It's a lady that just talks about Premiere. Okay. Um, different Adobe things. But uh, the way that she does her videos is very, um, she's easy to listen to. And she's she, she, a lot of the people kind of leave out that one or two thing because they're not thinking of it. But like every small bit of the mouse, she kind of narrates or highlights the mouse of like, oh, it's here instead of here. And instead of you're like, I watched the video four times. How the fuck do I find what they just yeah, did? Just like I'm missing something and you're not missing something. They left it out, but she does really good. Um, so if you have the software, same, she does some stuff with Photoshop too, to kind of um, 
I learned uh, the lumen effects and th diff th different things like that from her. Um, but yeah, YouTube's great. <laughs> and then the third thing on that list, to be honest, would be lighting. So I just ordered a new lighting kit. Um, because I, I just ordered my new lighting kit too. I, I love my new lighting kit. <laughs> you just bought one? Yeah, I just bought my bought one uh, like a month and a half, two months ago. What'd you get? Kind of like I got uh, a softbox. There. Okay, so this is what I just ordered. You have two of them, right? Yeah, I got two of them. So I because I ordered. Where did you get off at Amazon? Yeah, they're the newer N E E W E R. And you're happy? Um, I would have got if. If I could go back again, I would have got the the rounded ones instead of the square ones. Oh, why? Um, the more photography things that I watch, you're getting a more um, natural by going round than if you go square. Mm -hmm. Natural lighting on faces and stuff. Um, but for podcast, for interview, like because normally like it's a table here, and we'd have one guy here, one guy here, um, and then cameras one side, one side. Yeah. For this room, they're perfect, but in like an outdoor setting, the rounder ones that I've seen other people use kind of just get like they, they encapsulate the face a little bit better, if that makes sense. Right. See, I have the round, I have the deeper light, and mm -hmm. I find that it's a little harsher. And in pictures, you can actually see the ring in your eyes, and, and which is, could look cool. I mean, some people love it. I don't necessarily. I find that with the soft boxes, it's, it's more soft. You get a, it's a more of a yeah, deeper for sure. light. Because right now, like you can see, I have yellow. That's my actual house lighting, and it's more of a right. view for you. It just looks like it's it's daylight, which is what you want, right? Well, that's the funny thing to me is like I'll have these going for an hour or so, or when I'm making my own videos, and like you kind of get used to it, and then like I'll go and I'll turn the two switches off, and then it's just the regular yeah. light. And as soon as the first time I turned them on, I was like, "Did you know our lights are really yellow?" <laughs> like I had no idea until like I turned those off, and I was like, "Wow, it's a whole different environment in here." Yeah, and if you change those <laughs> out with your home lights, it actually helps with your videos too. Like if I don't know if you're going complete darkness and then just using your soft boxes, but changing your uh, home lights. Sometimes out. I have that makes my eyes look really cool, but kind of also makes like depending like if I wear a white shirt and I do that, I just look like I'm in the wall. Right. <laughs> it's also your background too is pure gray, right? Uh, should be white, but kind of the way that it comes off is kind of that grayish yeah. white. It's like mauve or whatever. You can always typical. get uh, backdrops by those rolls of several different types yeah. of color. That's a kind of the podcast has been a year long thing so far. It's your B episode, like mid forties, whenever it releases. But kind of, I've made it made it the mission of each week to kind of one week I'll learn something the next week i'll kind of pick up equipment wise where like i started off with my old imac and then i moved to the, the real macbook because mm -hmm. i was it took like two hours to try to import a video one day i was like no apple store oh, yeah. when i look at my first <laughs> video like lighting wise and content wise it was it was totally different so yeah this is what happens as you learn along the way and i would i would be timid to tell somebody who's just starting a vlog or a podcast to be like hey go invest five g's into getting the best camera, the best right. you know, lighting, the best this and that, when you don't even know if you're going to like vlogging. So something right. like start with what you have, see how it goes. If you're building an audience and you're loving doing it, then yeah, as you go, you pick up new things along the way. But for me, there's no point in investing unless you know it's something that's going to be long-term, right? Yeah, I totally recommend these two. I got uh, the little well, lavalier mic. Got I've got the Rode one for my camera, and I have a Sure one that plugs into my iPhone. Both expensive, does great jobs, everything else. These are a two-pack for $20, and they sound better than my expensive stuff. And you're just connecting it into the, uh, your regular camera? Do you have like a... Yeah, it goes right into the regular camera. Right now, I have it plugged into the laptop. Okay, cool. 
Um, and then it has like the extension cord and it has a Y splitter. So if I wanted to run headphones and everything through it, I could. Um, but I was, I had a, another podcaster on the show and he had a camera set up too. So I had his footage and when I was editing it all together, I was like, man, his audio on his sounds so much better than everything I recorded with three different mics. And I was like, yeah. Hey, you know, send me a link. I want to get that. You know, I don't care how much it is like that. That sound is perfect. Yeah. Sends me a link. It's two of them for 20 bucks. I was like, buy two of them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't compare something that was close to you with a mic that's set up on the camera. Yeah, something that's across the room, even if it's made for it. I mean, it, it just does such a better job of, you know, just picking it up and blocking out other stuff. But again, you got to kind of try different things until you find that one. And some people, they see a $20 option, myself included. You're like, oh, you might as well try it out. How good can it be? You know, right now, I'm using like a boom style mic. Um, mm -hmm. I've been considering labs, but I find that if you're not doing interviews, you don't necessarily need it because my camera is quite close to me when I'm filming. So it right. picks up on the audio. Um, but yeah, that was something I was considering too, maybe to try uh, as another option in the new year, just to see how it sounds. Yeah. I like, I like just having a couple different tools in the bag, just kind of, you know, like you said, this environment, that one's great, but in, in another environment, you know, if you're out and about, these do a lot better job of getting rid of wind instead of having to get all the extra. Yeah. Camera equipment looks so funny when you see the real oh, professional God, yeah. photographer with the mic up top and all the different little fuzzy wuzzies. You're like, this looks like a dog show. And it's gotten a lot better. <laughs> the cameras have gotten a lot smaller. You should have seen it back in the day, 20 years ago. Like right. Even my dad doing family videos carried around this massive camera in the 70s. I need a back problems the next day because it was so heavy. Yeah, now it's like, oh, got it. You can you can literally make quality videos with your iPhone now. Which is yeah. crazy. Mr. I tell everybody starting out, you could video wise, you could do it with the iPhone. You just need to find some sort of microphone to get the audio quality better from cell phones. Yeah. We are doing auditions right. now on cell phones. There are apps that you can uh, purchase mm -hmm. and use that are specific auditioning apps that will give you the template, all the information, you know, on the front of the audition, on the back of the audition, all that kind of stuff. That was never allowed. That was never a thing. Now they're like, who cares? We don't, you don't need to have fantastic lighting. Just do something with decent lighting on your iPhone. We just need to get the essence of you, an idea of what you can do with the script. And then when we bring you into the room, we'll see, you know, the full deal. I mean, it's great. It's convenient for people. It's saving everybody time, saving everybody money. So, I mean, you know, technology has come a long way and certainly helps out with when you're in this kind of biz, right? Absolutely. And to end every interview, I did give you the, the niceness of giving you the heads up of this, where I normally kind of just throw it right at people. And they're like, oh, what do ah, I do? What do I do? Every interview I end with what we call the digital soapbox. You get to end the interview for audio versions, video versions, on whatever tone you want to do. So if you want to be promotional, you want to be inspirational, just tell people how to find you. You get one minute starting whenever you start talking to end One it. minute, Colin, that's a lot. I mean, that's not a lot. You could do a lot a with lot. a minute. You're a, a you're a TV host. You know how much you probably could do with one minute? That's crazy. <laughs> I'm just going to talk as fast as possible. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So a little advice on people getting into business. Think outside of the box and take risks. Do not do the thing that you thought you were going to do when you're eight years old just because that was the first plan in your mind. Don't do the thing that your mom wants you to do or that your friend thinks you're going to be good at. Do the thing that drives you, you feel passionate about, and you'll get fulfillment out of whatever that may be. That's my business advice and take risks. Don't do the job because it's the easier choice. Do the job because it's going to challenge you and, and give you lots of lessons along the way. Promotionally, you can check out my company at flawlessbydesignpro.com if you want to look at the website, meet my team, learn a little bit more about what my company does. Um, you can follow us on, uh, us on Instagram as well at flawlessbydesign. And then if you're into the dating world or just curious about the dating world or are single, join my uh, vlog. You can catch me on Instagram at Chantel Canzanese. It's a very complicated spelling. 
I don't know if you want me to spell it out, S-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-E, last name C-A-N-Z-A-N-E-S-E. And feel free to DM me with any dating stories, any you know advice you want, because I love pe um, hearing other people's uh, dating journeys as well. So feel free to do that.